0: Hey, everyone. My name is Jared Milkey. And I am Seth Horst. Welcome to Copy That Radio.
1: Seth and I are both retired, air quotes retired, we still have jobs and careers, first responders. I retired from the fire service and Seth retired from law enforcement.
0: Boom, a cop and a firefighter in the same room. Telling stories. Ah, Love it. So our goal here is to share stories. Uh, We call it the ones we couldn't tell. Um, We're sharing stories to try to bridge that gap between the public and first responders.
1: That is correct. Yeah, we believe there's a lot of um, misconceptions about first responders and what they experience, what that life is like. Our goal is just to get the stories out there so people have a better understanding. And it's also fun for us. It is. Talking to our old
0: people. And therapeutic. Yeah, it's very therapeutic. Uh, We should warn you, some of these stories are explicit in nature. There will be swearing, um, sometimes gore, uh, other inappropriate content. So it is not kid-friendly.
1: Yes, not kid-friendly. So our goal is not to reach kids. Like I said, it's to reach adults. And present these stories and this life, what it's like
0: to live that life to the public. Well, that's all. Enjoy the show. Thank you. Hi, Jared. Hi, Seth. How are you? <laughs> I, I was beat, waiting for you. I beat you, too. I, I gave know. you a pause. And, and you winked at me. That was kind of weird. Ooh.
1: <laughs> hey, everyone. We are here today to discuss our guest on this show, on this episode, and our guest today is the first. What would you say, Seth? Big, Big. name
0: in podcast. I'm kind of shocked how this happened.
1: Yeah, it is kind of it's kind of weird. Yeah, S- surreal, surreal. But we've got several more guests uh, at this uh, caliber or level
0: lining up for the winter, so it'll be cool to record with them. I think uh, you would call this punching above our weight class. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Um, it's somebody I've been following for years. I think you have too. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just get to it. It's okay. Rob Wolf. What? Rob Wolf is,
1: I guess, he would be kind of like the the spearhead guy from the ancestral health movement back in the early two thousands. Um, as Rob and a few other people were kind of the faces of that. Rob is a best selling author, two time New York Times, Wall Street Journal best selling author of the Paleo Solution and Wired to Eat. Also, just co authored a new book called Sacred Cow, and that's coming up next or soon on my list so i would suggest everybody else grab that book too
0: excellent books yes
1: the other ones are very good uh rob the cool thing i like about rob and a lot of people will give flack for the paleo thing but rob is one of the few people in the health and uh, wellness space fitness space that will actually change his opinions
0: over time based on like new evidence new things coming up and i like that about him i like that when anyone does that that's a sign of a, a truly smart person
1: yeah yeah um, Some other random facts about Rob. <laughs> he's he's known for being very forward and direct, similar to us. So <laughs> if that's not for you, maybe don't listen to this.
0: That's what <laughs> I liked about him. Uh, yeah. yeah, he uh, <laughs> he tells it like it is, and it's great. Yeah. yeah Rob
1: that. also co-founded the first and fourth CrossFit affiliates on the planet back before it became the monster that it is now. He is a brown belt in BJJ, and as a youngster was a state powerlifting champion in the state of California. Oh, Here's a side note. Almost nobody knows this. Rob is the world record holder for an elk killed with an atlatl. Stop it. He is atlatl is a spear with a little um, throwing lever that you hold in your hand. It's caveman style. Rob was on a show called I Caveman on Discovery Channel, where uh, I think ten or so people were dropped off in the mountains of Colorado and forced to survive with caveman style gear and Rob killed an elk with an atlatl. I feel
0: like you're making this shit up right now. No, I I watched the whole show.
1: (laughs) That that is freaking awesome. Yeah. Rob's a cool dude and I've known him through some of my my mentors and friends in the gym space for a while. He is very good at presenting and speaking at conferences, seminars. He used to do that a lot. He doesn't really do that much anymore. Um, I got to meet him in person a few years ago down at the Power Athlete Ranch in Austin, Texas. And he's a super cool dude. Now he lives up here not too far from us. What, three, four hours to Spell? Yep. Yeah. About four hours, I think. And yeah, it was just, uh, just a joy to uh, have him on the show. We talked specifically about, this is what we need to answer. Everybody's wondering, why the hell does Rob Wolf matter in the world of first responders?
0: Mm.
2: Good question. Mm.
1: Rob is one of the very few people on earth that's been part of any um, large efforts or large studies to study first responders and military folks and their deployment schedules, their work schedules, their lifestyle and nutrition factors. He's one of the very few people that's actually tried to implement changes, and he talks about that a lot. He worked with a project that was hosted in the city of Reno where they saved $22, $23 million. It was in the 20s. Yeah. They took 40 people, completely changed 40 first responders, police and firefighters, changed their life, changed their habits, changed their eating style, restructured their sleep, like did everything they could and their estimates were it's going to save 20-something million dollars for the city of Reno just with those 40 people and future insurance and health claims. So that's a big deal. Um, rob gets off on a little tangent about how um, even though they accomplished that and have that data, it's been impossible to sell to other cities, counties, states, and even the federal government. But, uh, yeah, that's it. It was pretty good talking to Rob and hearing his perspective on those things. Um, if you want to check him out, you can find him at Rob. R o b b wolf, w o l f dot com, and then he, he has social accounts, but he's not on there. That's his staff running the socials.
0: Uh, full disclosure. Also, talking to him made me feel like I was mentally challenged because he's pretty darn smart. He is um, a smart fellow. So yeah, if, if if my usual jokes aren't there, I apologize. Uh, I was blanking out quite a bit. And
1: oh, and one last thing. Rob has Rob and his wife host a group a. Um, platform it's off of all social media it's their own network it's called the healthy rebellion and you can join there if you want it is a monthly membership but you get access to an endless amount of resources regarding uh, lifestyle diet training um, just general health and wellness practices i'm in that group and i love it and there's tons of good people in there they're going to close it soon i think there's about 1200 he said and they're going to yeah. cap it at 1500 that's kind of like the yeah. viable before they start a, they split mm-hmm. it off and give somebody the range to run with another one um so, yeah, it's a good group. If you want to join, I'll actually put the link in the show notes. You can join and Excellent. give Rob some uh, more people in his group there. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, that's it, huh? That's it. All that. Wow, that was five minutes. Was it
0: really? Yeah. Holy oh, crap. Well, enjoy the show. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Rob, for joining us. Yeah.
0: Fantastic so, conversation. Enjoy, everyone. Bye. And we are live. Welcome.
2: Huge honor to be here. We pulled it off.
0: (laughs) Yes, we are connected. Some minor technical difficulties. Well, we've got Rob Wolf with us today on Copy That Radio. This is fantastic, Rob. Thank you for joining us. Yes, pretty cool.
2: Hey, Uh, huge honor. Thank you. uh,
0: I don't know, Rob, this is Seth talking, by the way. Um, I don't know that you know this, but we have a mutual friend, uh, two friends, Glenn and Katie,
2: Oh, okay. Cordoza. Oh, I love those guys. Yeah, That's awesome.
0: Yeah. So I, I lived in Chico prior to moving here. Um, I don't know if we've ever crossed paths back there. But uh, yeah, I, I started training with Glenn back in like, 2001, in the mixed martial arts game. And then he quickly, okay. quickly surpassed any of my abilities. And uh, I haven't actually talked to him in a while. But, but I thought it was funny that we had that mutual friend.
2: Yeah, yeah. Those well, I was I came back to Chico in two thousand three, two thousand four, and was there until two thousand ten.
0: Okay. Yeah, we were there at the yeah. same time. Interesting.
2: Small world. Small it's, world.
0: <laughs>
2: and yeah, uh, Glenn is uh, remarkably talented at beating people up. Good like golly, he, he, uh, Good. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> yeah he uh I remember he went his first time he went to Thailand. I don't remember when that was it was probably like oh three o four and uh when he came back, it was like a whole new level, and I did not want to spar with him anymore because it was too painful and I was like, this we're done here, yeah, he's too good,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> anyway, well, that was a sidebar. What are we here to talk about, Jared? We don't want to take too much of Rob's time,
1: well, Rob, as you know, our show is about first responders. And you are one of the few or maybe only people on earth that has ever studied um, lifestyle effects and habitual things for the health of first responders. Is that correct?
2: I don't know about that, but we uh, we actually tried and did something that was effective, which may be singularly unique in the, in the world. So I think a lot of uh, bandwidth and and hand-waving gets put into that type of stuff, but then when it comes down to actually trying to to do something, I don't know that much really happens, and I I think that there's a the thing that we did in, in, in this backs up a little bit, but around 2001 actually um, at the University of Nevada Las Vegas, uh, the the university police there. Within a one-month time, three of their officers went down due to either a heart attack or stroke. And I forget if it was two strokes and one heart attack or vice versa, but all of these officers survived. All of them ended up being uh, medically retired, and it's great that they survived, but the on-the-books cost for medically retiring these folks uh, is somewhere around like $1.5 million. The real cost can be three five eight times greater than that de- depending on circumstances and and this is a non-trivial part of why so many uh, state and local budgets are are in deficit there's a bunch of other reasons but the, the care and handling of our first responders is is really expensive particularly on the back end the main thing that we have going for us currently particularly for police is that they're at the last i checked the average Life expectancy for uh, law enforcement in the United States is about 58 years, and that's almost 20 years shorter than the average life expectancy throughout, you know, the rest of the population. So the main thing that's keeping things really going on pensions and medical funds is that first responders die young enough that they're not overly, you know, depleting resources, which i I find completely horrifying. Um, and, and many other people did as well. And so they started asking some questions like, well, can we find something that's happening in these folks, like some metabolic markers, some blood work markers that uh, you know, that we could get out in front of this and do something about it? And so they started doing some screening. and, and what happened is the uh, a clinic up in Reno, Nevada, called Specialty Health, had some relationships with, with folks down at UNLV. And Specialty Health, interestingly, started off as an orthopedic risk assessment clinic. So it was a bunch of orthopods that got together years ago, like 96, 97, and started really digging into the peer-reviewed literature. And those what, what they found was that if you really followed the evidence-based medicine, which this is a, a timely lesson for folks with some ears to listen to this, the medical consensus was one thing. It was that, you know, like various types of back surgery and whatnot were beneficial. But then when we started looking at the actual research on that, you couldn't make a case that, that most back surgery was benefiting people and that it was probably actually hurting a whole lot of people, that the cost benefit story there was not favorable. So these people didn't know anything about like metabolic disease, but they were very, very good at establishing uh, kind of return on investment, risk reward strategies w- within a different, you know, kind of section in medicine. So they started digging into, well, what are the the things that maybe lead to stroke and heart attack, which seems to be uh, biggies for for folks in the first responder scene what they came up with was metabolic disease, basically insulin resistance, dyslipidemia, what we call broadly metabolic syndrome. And at, at that time, the solution to metabolic syndrome was a, a high carb, uh, low fat diet, which is kind of, you know, standard dietary practices. And what was really fascinating is that as they started putting uh, cops and firefighters on this high carb, low fat diet, uh, just about to a person, these folks got worse. Like the standard firefighter chow, standard police chow was better than like the American Dietetics Association recommended, you know, dietary interventions. So the the signs and symptoms of metabolic disease got worse, their lipids got worse, their blood sugar got worse, their hip to waist ratio got worse. So they're like, well, shit, you know, if uh, high carb, low fat isn't working, maybe we'll try the opposite. Maybe we'll go, uh, uh, you know, higher fat, lower carb. And they started really getting some some remarkable benefits there, and this motored along for a good number of years, and then eventually the chief of police in Reno, Steve Pitts, he and the mayor, the city council, the the folks at uh, Specialty Health, um, they put together this pilot study, and they they found 40 folks within the police and fire. Service there, the they screened everybody, but they pulled out the forty highest risk people and got them on a lower carb paleo type diet, modified their sleep and exercise as best they could, um, and and provided health coaching and you know a lot of support so that they could they could actually be successful. But based off the changes in blood work and physical parameters, this uh, risk this pilot study. Is estimated to have saved the city of Reno about $22 million with a 33-to-1 return on investment. And uh, I, I worked for a number of years trying to scale this and and do something meaningful with it. And this is where, you know, we kind of run into um, what is generally done within first responder circles. Uh, one is that if they if anybody cares to do anything for these folks. I would argue that they're doing the wrong thing. These people are already insulin resistant. They're already damaged due to shift work and a high carb, low fat diet for the vast majority of these people is not the solution. It, it actually exacerbates the problem. So in 95, 99% of the the situations where if anybody even has the wherewithal to try to do anything, they do the wrong thing. And then more often than not, nobody is really willing to do much of anything because unfortunately within these you know, public service situations. Um, well, let me frame it this way. The reason why this worked in Reno is that the chief of police, the chief of fire, the mayor, the bol- like eight, six out of nine, eight out of nine of the city council had already gone through this risk assessment program and were 100% bought in. So it was oh, leadership. Wow. These people were invested. They, they put money in it. Like they actually had money up front to put into this thing. And so they're willing to do it. And when we've tried to scale this and take it out to other people, I've chatted with um, literally hundreds of different organizations uh, around the world about doing this. And inevitably what ends up being a, a primary breakdown is leadership. You might have the chief of police, but more often you don't. You have some underling somewhere in the chain of command who's begging, pleading, cajoling to try to get somebody's ear to do this. And if they do manage to get it fairly far up the chain of command it's a a year or two year process to try to get this thing going just about the time that we're going to get funding for it the person that was championing it moves further up the chain of command and so the new person comes in and of course new people always you know have to uh, paint this picture that their predecessor was an idiot and so whatever that person was working on gets scuttled and so I've I've kind of abandoned um, pushing this uh you know within uh, first responder groups directly because there's just not leadership nobody's willing to fund it they're just willing to kind of burn through the human capital that are the people involved in these you know these professions yeah that is a lot of
1: information to unpack right there <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah oh so yeah. we we get and that it. was my that was my rosier unpacking of this when yeah. I'm, when I'm underslept or in a shitty mood it it comes across (laughs) much worse yeah yeah.
1: i've I've heard you speak about this over the years i remember when you moved to reno and we're actually working in this study can you explain your role in this process
2: i initially so this had gotten wrapped up just before i even got involved with this but my main involvement oddly enough was that my book was used as as the the kind of dietary materials my first book the payload solution so I was involved without being involved initially, and then I became part of the, the board of directors and helped to kind of steward and guide the, the further development of the program and worked for the better part of 10 years to scale this and try to take it out to the masses. Probably the biggest success that we've had, we, we had some some good buy-in within uh, different elements of the Indiana um, uh, police departments in and, in and around Indiana and then we did two years of work with the Chickasaw Nation, where those folks had began developing a program very similar to this, where they had a gym, they had functional medicine doctors, they had an online portal to help steward people through this process, and they were really looking at using this for both their their the workers within the, the Chickasaw Nation, but also the, the Chickasaw people. And they're still motoring forward on that, but uh, unfortunately, they decided to kind of Turn that program in inward facing instead of outward facing. So they are still doing it, but it's it's mainly within just uh, the Chickasaw people. But it it is a a solid proof of concept that these these folks recognized a a effectively the same problem that people were being crushed by metabolic disease, which is a a singularly unique feature of modern living and something that didn't exist. 30, 40 years ago is certainly not in the ubiquity that, that it does now. And that the costs, both in system, you know, how much you it, it, how expensive it is to deal with these people, you know, as they they get sick and eventually die, to say nothing of the the human loss, you know, was just becoming unacceptable. It's too to great a burden to bear. So that those are the things that I I helped to to bring to this, trying to scale it. And then also just, just bringing more of the, I I guess, the cutting edge, you know, kind of, kind of science and, and clinical methodology around all of this.
0: Hmm. Do you, do you think uh, that some of the pushback comes, I'm trying to think like Jared and I have both dabbled in this in our respective careers. Um, I don't know if you knew this, Rob, but I I was a CHP officer and I worked in the Oroville office for a long time and. uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. So close to, close to home there. I, uh, I set up a gym at our office and we had less than 30 uniformed officers, so fairly small. And I would get maybe two to three people to work out with me in that gym. And a lot, there was just so much pushback from the guys to change. I, I could never figure out how to like, how to crack through that. And then, you know, when you add in, if management tries to push anything down, there's also so much pushback. It's like, it's a very stubborn group of people. And and I always got frustrated to the point where I just gave up and I I figured I would just worry about myself and and let the other guys do what they're gonna do. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I didn't like. Did you see any of that kind of pushback from the troops, or is it
2: more on a management side that you saw? Yeah, I mean, you, you 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 both. You know, certainly both. And and this was one of the unique features of Reno. You can't really force people to do these programs, but when. When all of the leadership is 100% on board, 100% invested, and it's kind of like, okay, if you were one of those 40 people that was have that was diagnosed as having significant metabolic disease, and you were at exceptionally high risk for type 2 diabetes and and uh, uh, heart attack and or a stroke, um, they couldn't force you to do it, but Man, they could make your life shitty <laughs> <all> <laughs> if you you didn't comply. And they were actually willing to do that. And they were willing to take some heat over it because they wanted to save these people's lives. And the department in the city needed to to save money. and this was this is one of the funny things that um, uh, we often faced when we try when we took this on the road and we were trying to to share this with people. Um, the unions would would kind of get their their backup, and they're like, "Well, you're trying to take things away from these these folks." And it's mm-hmm. like, "No, we're trying to prevent them from dying." Mm-hmm. And it was a it was a ship fight to get that done. And then I I uh, early on I said, "Hey, check this out. We're going to be presenting one of these things, and someday somebody from the pension side of this story is going to be there, and they're going to lose their minds at what we're suggesting because what we're suggesting is that." Uh, if police, firefighters, you know, first responders took care of themselves in a way that actually made sense, they need not die young and early, which means that they might actually live out a long life and use their pension and whatnot. And I I think we were in Boston and I was presenting this material and I I got I basically made that that point that um, in first responders who are diagnosed as being metabolically healthy, we don't really see that curtailment and, and longevity like they they live about as long as everybody else does and this gal stood up and she's like so you're saying that these people are going to live longer and I said you're from the pension side of that, aren't you?" <laughs> and like her face just turned red and like there was a bunch of laughing and everything and it looked over at my team I'm like there you go so we faced problems left right and center because the bucket of money that deals with the health side is different than the bucket of money that deals with pensions. So we have that to deal with. Do you, so, do you think there's like an active, um,
0: an active resistance there, <laughs> that they are aware of
2: this and that? Fuck yeah, there's an active <laughs> resistance because if people live longer, these pensions are going to go yeah. bankrupt. Most of the seventy to eighty percent of pensions are underfunded already. Yep. Most of them are not going to deliver what they claim that they're going to deliver. That's terrifying. But you have a bunch of people armed, a bunch of people trained in how to kill folks and. They're going to be shortchanged on their pensions. <laughs> <laughs> you guys may end up just like round filing this this podcast.
0: No, this is good no, info. No, I know we it. This. Yeah,
2: I don't know if you listen to any of our other so shows, yeah. but they're out there. Yeah, we. Uh... Yeah, I, you know, we we faced uh, pushback from you know, say like the officers themselves because. Nobody wants to have some, you know, pencil-neck geek come in and tell them how to eat and what to do and all that stuff. And they don't want to, you know, it, changing folks' diet and lifestyle is a a very challenging thing under the best of circumstances. So you you had that pushback. It's rare that you have the type of leadership where somebody's willing to actually do something because what all of these folks are terrified of is making a mistake. If they make a mistake, then they don't climb the the ladder. You hit so the nail on the head with just, that one. Yeah, that is you know just don't fuck up, just don't make a mistake. <laughs> Keep your head down. Hopefully, you can advance out. I'm at year 17. If I can hit year 20 and get that next advancement, then my pension goes up this next increment, and then I'm done. You know, and so that's the stuff that we're dealing with. And then when you when you factor in where the pensions are and that the pension people, we're not gonna. <laughs> I'm sure in their own head, they're, they're not going to like say this, but there's kind of a reality that if, if people start living longer lives, then it's going to cost less, less on the medical side and much, much more on the pension side. And nobody has planned for that. None of these, by and large, most of these systems are, are not set up in a way that they're really uh, uh, robust enough to, to deal with that change. So there's a lot of challenge within all of that, you know, trying to fix this thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, Another thing I've noticed, and you probably saw this too, and I think you kind of hinted at it. uh, The management is so terrified of the liability. I know to get guys to be able to work out at my office, it was, it had to be outside of your normal working hours, you had to sign a waiver. So they were terrified of someone getting hurt on duty and then going down that road, which was crazy to me. I mean, that's just, that's just part of the deal. And you just have to accept it. But no one had the balls to step up and, and do it. Very frustrating.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that Pretty was a struggle for us, too. I'm, I'm not going to dive into it. but Really? Building a gym th- and a firehouse. Oh, yeah. I thought
0: firefighters just got to eat, eat good food and work out all you day. Just
1: eat chili and play video games.
0: That's what you do. Yeah. I know. All
1: right, Rob, let's go. Um, can you unpack a little bit of what created those successes in the first responders? Like what specific lifestyle interventions and mm-hmm. health metrics caused that change?
2: Yeah, I mean, we you now these are folks that are uh, thrust into a hypervigilant state, which is challenging to deal with. But part of what was provided on that front was some uh, uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, like some providing better tools um, uh, to to just process things. And uh, Dr. Gil Martin and in his his work mainly within law enforcement, but it really apply, applies broadly. We, we went really hard on that. So we were really helping people to try to go out of that hypervigilant state. I had the, the good fortune of working with uh, Naval Special Warfare for their resiliency program for quite a long time. And as demanding as what like the SEAL teams and the special boat teams, as demanding as that work is, when those folks deploy, they're just gone you know they're gone for 6 months or 9 months and they're doing their job and they go on and off and they come back and they de- debrief and but they're not a parent they're not a coach they're not a husband you know they're not wearing multiple hats within a 36 hour period so we we really worked as best we could to try to help people manage the the demands of going in and out of you know kind of first responder and and you know standard civilian life which is is so remarkably more demanding than what i think anybody outside of you know who hasn't worked in this space you know can can really uh, fully appreciate um shift work is an inherent part of, of this type of work and one thing that we did is try to to um sand down the jagged edges on shift work like instead of bouncing people around to different shifts within a, a fairly brief period of time we attempted to to keep people on a fairly consistent schedule, and then we would rotate them throughout the year. And although seniority is a is an important factor in that, it, it cannot be the only factor because you, the a great way to make your younger folks absolutely broken is to just keep them on the the worst schedules. And so we worked a lot on sleep hygiene. Um, would they were able to sleep? Really plugging the gaps of what they needed to do to. To have better sleep, you know, maybe using some melatonin, a completely black room, dark environment, and and really massively prioritizing sleep, which is tough because again, these are our husbands and wives and fathers and mothers, and so that you know when they're supposed to be sleeping, they're getting up oftentimes and going and coaching a soccer team or something. So talking about the trade offs with that and trying to figure out how to manage it, and then the diet. Uh, Oftentimes, the most powerful lever that we had in this whole story was diet because we could only affect so much change on the hypervigilant state because that is the job of being a first responder. We can only affect so much change on the shift work because shift work is is baked in the cake at least to some degree. And so our most powerful lever, most powerful tool was diet. And we just generally pulled uh, dense carbohydrates down to about 50 grams per day. You know, really tried to focus on fruits and vegetables for that and then proteins and good fats and uh, really focused uh, on getting people off of uh, uh, sugary beverages, like at least shifting people to like diet sodas instead of regular sodas or diet iced tea instead of, you know, sugar sweetened iced tea. And so we tried to plug some of those nutritional gaps. And instead of just giving them like a one sheet page of paper and telling them to go do it. We provided a, a coach, we a dietitian, and an exercise physiologist to help them on the training and also to to check in with them. We one weekly phone or teleconference check in, but then availability for a a 24/7 text, you know, 24 you know virtually 24/7, uh, you know, phone call. Like if the person was shopping and they're like, I don't know what to buy, then the the coach would walk them through okay, you're out for lunch, go grab a rotisserie chicken, get some apples, bag of walnuts and, or, you know, almonds and you're, you're good to go. So we provided some legit support around that. And there were some kind of accountability metrics for people checking in. So they were incentivized to actually participate and do this stuff. And those were really the, the big factors, hypervigilant state shift work and then the the nutritional lever. And they did talk a lot to these folks also about like stimulants and, uh, uh, alcohol, you know, um, uh, trying to not use caffeine really late in a shift, and and funny enough, I I try to encourage people to sh- to shift more to like nicotine gum and nicotine uh, uh, mints as they got later in the shift because it will keep you alert, but it won't disorder your sleep the way that that caffeine will. So we did some tweaks there. Uh, on the, the alcohol side, just reminding people that as as nice as it is to unwind with a, a cocktail here and there, that if you you drink alcohol within close proximity to your your sleep period, that it would really disorder sleep. And this further exacerbated the insulin resistance and made the recovery worse and all that type of stuff. And so not not in like a finger wagging way, but just kind of like, hey, these are kind of the facts and you're all adults, but let you know, Six days out of out of seven, maybe it's better to forego the cocktail and really save that for a day where you you've got a good window on the back end where you can recover or whatnot. If you want to have family over and have a, a couple of drinks and stuff like that, but all in all, it was really really successful. And and again, part of the reason was because we we had this advanced testing looking at uh, metabolic disease and the the specific testing. The primary tool is called the LPIR score. The lipoprotein insulin resistance score and it's a, a very sophisticated but, but just pinpoint accurate metric for an individual's metabolic health like how insulin sensitive or resistant the person is and it's cheap it's like 75 bucks but but it, it, it is unambiguous uh it's hard to screw it up um even if person is is um not fasted for the blood work it, it tells us a lot where it's like the standard physical blood work tells us almost nothing. It, it is virtually worthless. Um, 60% of the people that, uh, we found that 60% of the people who were who were designated as being metabolically healthy using conventional blood work like the standard total cholesterol LDL cholesterol HDL blood you know blood glucose 60% of those people were in fact insulin resistant when we we ran them through our our tests so like standard blood work standard physicals are at best a waste of time at worst killing people because the, uh, folks are being given a clean bill of health and then, uh, no, no follow-up is, is, you know, administered to those people. Hmm. Man, oh, and, and it's, it's worth mentioning really quickly that the, um, the insulin resistance metabolic disease profile of first responders is very different than like the standard population. And I believe that's because of the hypervigilant state cortisol release stress hormones and the shift work. So these folks don't look from standard blood work to be all that unhealthy because oftentimes they do work out at least some, they do some exercise. So they they, they oftentimes just kind of look kind of middle ground. It's like, ah, it doesn't look too bad. But then when we do this advanced testing, it's like this person is is like dead man walking. Like we had people that their 10-year their risk of uh, a heart attack or stroke was like 65%, which is jaw-dropping yeah like, holy yeah, shit that's dad, you know <clears throat>
1: i can yeah. uh, seth and i can both confirm everything you've said because when we left Seth's so a, a year out right yeah and i've been out seven years as of last week um out of the fire service and it took me several years just to start sleeping regularly
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah same yep. thing yeah
0: it's it's that that deco it, that decompression takes a really long time Yeah, it's and even wild. then
1: that that state of hypervigilance where you're always on you're always aware um, even now that I've been gone a while, uh, I have, if I'm in the right situation or, you know, my spidey senses go off for whatever reason, yeah. it's really hard to settle that down.
0: Yeah. Big public yep. events, Costco line. I'm tuned up. I'm ready to rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. It's Costco is yeah. <laughs> sketchy anyways. I, uh, Rob, I think like a lot of that is a, like would, requ- would require a cultural shift in, in those fields because I look at guys like there's a big attitude of like, harden the fuck up, you know, like just get her done. And the guys are just slamming monsters and chewing tobacco and just getting through the shift. And I'm like, man, I I see that. I don't know how you shift that. I just, I don't know where that starts because it's, it's clearly unhealthy. Um, and, you know, a lot of those guys aren't going to make it all the I, way. I
1: survived many a long week <laughs> chugging uh, yeah. Java monsters.
0: Yeah. When I when yeah. I was very young and new to the job, I, like I I did that I worked graveyards for seven years straight, and you know was expected to be a dad when I woke up and I barely slept and I felt like garbage all the time.
1: Yeah. Hey, I want to go back to your reference to the special warfare guys and deployments. Um, I we know Seth and I know several of those people and our friends, and they, they would in conversations they've told us almost the exact same thing you said. Like when they're out, when they're gone, like they're functioning super high level. They're not distracted. They have nothing um, taking their time and attention other than their job. And they're, that's why they're excellent at what mm-hmm. they do. Um, and I know that like, I've had some shorter deployments one in two weeks on for disasters and emergencies. And it's, it's very similar. Cause when you eliminate the rest of the world, mm. like that, I felt super rested during those times we were working our asses off, but I felt rested. Like I had not felt in years.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: What about you, Seth?
0: Yeah. Same thing. Like, yeah. uh, yeah we deployed to in 2016 i deployed to cleveland ohio for republican national convention with our riot team and and we were there for i don't know 10 days or something and i was like it was like vacation i mean we were working 16 hour days but it was great i had no little kids tugging at me and you know no other duties no cooking you know nothing i was like okay i could do this yeah you had the stresses of, of every of the rest of your life in and then then it turns you into a hot mess
2: yeah and i i and, and, you know, the work that our, our military does, I have unending respect and, and admiration and gratitude for those folks. But uh, I think because we see police and fire, particularly police, I, I, I will, you know, carve that out even in, in an additional layer. Um, because we see all every day, it's like, oh, there's officer so-and-so. And, you know, it's like they're not this mythical, you know, quasi-deified Entity, you know, a Navy SEAL, you know, so we assume that the job is easier, but it, I would argue that it's orders of magnitude more complex. You know, it's more difficult, uh, it, it just in the uh, the rules of engagement as as one, you know, and the potential backlash to, uh, you know, of, of uh, a mistake or or actually doing your job right, and just society deciding that you, you know, you made a mistake. And then just that whole other hot mess of of family and you know, extended relationships and and whatnot and needing to again, like if y'all were were gone for a month and then home for a month, it would be an entirely different experience versus like you're on for 12 or 16 hours or maybe 36 hours or whatever it is, and you go home and you've got all the home obligations and then you're, you know, and you just rinse, lather, repeat through that stuff. It is so incredibly demanding. And, you know, going back a little bit about like, how do you change that culture? Like one of the main things when when I did my opening with the, the SEALs, and I guess kind of the cool thing about that is that at the end of the, they did these pre-deployment retreats and post-deployment retreats and the 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 seal teams and the special boat teams would vote on how much they liked the person and whether or not they would they would bring them back and i was there for like 6 years so i i guess i did an an okay job you know <laughs> because these guys can literally get like any anybody at these events i was co-speaking with like a-list celebrities and stuff i was like what the hell am i doing here but <laughs> um but i opened each one of these things basically with a, i i threw the parallel with like the curtailed longevity within law enforcement and i said we don't really have that data for special operations i suspect it's similar and my singular goal here is that if you want to stay in your career as long as you want i want to facilitate that process you know so i don't want you to medical out i don't want you to to go out for for some reason you know, like when you when you are done it's because you are done and not because something untoward uh, happened to you and the flip side of that is when you are out, I want you to reap all of the benefits of the sacrifices you have made and your family have made, and that means living as long as you humanly can to extract as many resources out of that that pile of of you know gold that's been allocated to to taking care of you. And that really seemed to resonate with these folks, you know. And I was like, that's my goal. Like yeah, I'm it. a a middle-aged dude with not a lot of muscle and a, a rapidly receding hairline and that you know I'm not bringing anything else to the table other than that and that seemed to a, a, appeal to folks and that has been kind of my pitch when I can get in front of law enforcement and and fire service you know it's basically like hey you guys are going to give up a, you're going to get a lot from from what you've done in your service but you're going to give up a lot and on the back end of this I'd like to see you get as much as you possibly can like that's the only thing that makes sense as far as fairness in, in this whole story. And so that's my goal. So be critical of what I'm going to share with you. Um, make sure your bullshit detectors are, are tuned up really well, but also at least kick the goddamn tires on this thing and see if it's going to, going to help. you.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. That would be good information for people that are just getting started out before they get indoctrinated yeah. into the, into the culture. Um, yeah. It'd be awesome if, you know, academies could kind of push some of that knowledge out there one way or another and, and maybe that's how the culture can shift is to start at the beginning with some of the younger folks coming in um I don't know
2: Re- Reno was doing that like w- when I was still living in Reno each year when they had their new batch of cadets I would go do a, a talk exactly to to this effect and I mean it's a it's a balance folks do need to harden up they they do need to be resilient. They do need to realize that they can do far far more than what they they think they can, but also not every day can be tackled like a a selection process. Mm-hmm. You you can't tackle your whole life like you're you're getting ready to to go through SWAT selection or buzz or something like you just can't do that. And and so there's a there's a balance there. But the people who are are kind of you know mid career. Those are the people that still have some cachet with the, you know, strong cachet with the people who are in, but they can also kind of cock block some of the idiocy of the old, old guard that are just about ready to, to peel out. And I, I guess one of the the analogies here is even within medicine, you know, like the residency schedules and whatnot, they're really starting to change those because what they recognize now, they're killing people. Like these doctors are so compromised from the extended periods of sleep deprivation that they're killing people. and And so, yeah, they need to be tough. They need, you know, you need to learn that you can dig deep and do things that you didn't know that you could do. but there's a there's a point there where we start costing more than what we're we're gaining on it. And largely the reason why these systems have been in place is like, well, I went through this, so you're going to deal with it, you know, and it's like, how fucked up is that? Like all of us usually work to try to make sure that our kids have a better life than us. And it's not that we want them to be entitled or weak or anything else like that, but we'd like them to maybe do it smarter, maybe do it better. And so maybe shifting this away from like, this is my competition I'm dealing with and more to these are my, my children in a way, you know, could, could help shift some of that, that perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. It's wild. I, that, push for the schedules. I mean, I think back, um, it was the, uh, Ferguson riots and I was on the riot team and I, for like three weeks straight, I was driving from Chico to the Bay area, uh, to Oakland for, for riots, uh, every day. And we, we'd work like a 12 to 16 hour shift and then drive all the way back to Chico. It was insane. And I mean, we were so tired. We hit that point where we're like, I don't know that I want to live anymore. Um, just pure mm-hmm. misery and you just couldn't get out of it. And it was like, what are we doing here? I mean, no one in the leadership side wanted to step up and be like, okay, we need to find another solution here, either call in another team or like, I don't know, you guys, a hotel or like that in, or on the, that. right on the East Bay. Yes, <laughs> no, right. Like, the, the, yeah. Well, one, it would have been cheaper because of the overtime to pay us to drive all the way there and back. Uh, and two, it right. was, it was really running the risk of, of one of us crashing you know, on the way home on those lonely highway 70 or 99. Yeah. uh, Totally could have happened. It was so frustrating, but you don't want to be the guy to say anything and, you know, look like a little bitch. So you just harden the fuck up. Just keep going. (laughs) Yeah.
2: It's hard to break that. (laughs) It it is hard. You keep going until you don't. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yes. I'll I'll throw this out here, and uh, Dr. Gil Martin talks about this, Dr. Kirk Parsley, which you should have him on the show, too. He's a retired Navy SEAL. He's a sleep expert and a dear friend of mine, but don't hold me, and the folks listening, don't hold me exactly to this, but I want to say that 85% of excessive force cases happen within 48 hours of a significant shift change for the officer. Oh, that's interesting. So. And I think about uh, like, uh, the, the other night, like there was a a mountain lion somewhere on our property and the, uh, our dog went crazy and he's barking and we couldn't get him to calm down. Like the next day I was, I was kind of a hot mess, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was super short tempered with my kids, like way, even my oldest daughter, nine years old, she's like, dad, why are you so grumpy today? And I was like, guilty as charged. (laughs) I had bad sleep. I will do a way better job on this. So we know, so there, was, there, there have been some really fascinating studies where they will take couples and they will sleep deprive one of the couples, not sleep deprive the other individual, and then they will um, interview these folks about how loving are they, how caring are they, all that type of stuff. And the, the sleep deprived individual thinks that the other spouse is a jerk, and the non sleep deprived individual definitely knows that the sleep-deprived spouse is a jerk. And so you take that reality. Now, again, we're going to have shift work. We're going to have shift changes. But maybe if we put a little bit of resources into when somebody has a significant shift change, they're not doing things by themselves. And maybe they're with somebody who's already been in this shift for a bit to kind of provide a little bit of secondary like overnight and stuff like that. And I know that this is additional resources and staffing and all this stuff, but societally, how much might that investment save us to avoid something like a George Floyd incident or some, yeah. some circumstance like that? Well, I don't you even know, know if you could just calculate all of that. these things. It's remarkable that most of the vast majority of these excessive force events occur in close proximity to a shift change, that's correlation. It doesn't guarantee causation. But god damn, when we when we really look honestly at what we we understand to be just the ability for an individual to read emotional affect of people when they are sh- are, are sleep deprived, it's gone. It's like people have had an emotional lobotomy, and they're cranky. And they just want to get their shit done. And so, is it any? It, it's a very compelling, you know, case to put some resources into addressing just that side of things.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, that actually carries well into a question I had for you. I know up here in the northwest, there is a very popular shift schedule for the fire service, and a lot of departments up here run a 48 on, 96 off. And then down south, typically it's the southeast or the east coast it's 24 72 or some alternating 24 24 for a couple of days and you get like four days off there's a lot of weird ones um but here near us city of spokane runs 24 on 72 off which to me as a you know former firefighter that sounds fantastic like the 48 is not long enough 24 is definitely not long enough 72 sounds just right and the 48 96 schedule it's done that way because they there, I guess there was a small study done a few years ago that said in the 96 hours, you can recover completely from whatever happens in the 48, but in the 48, you can't recover from the 24 if you're on that cycle. So mm-hmm. do you know of mm-hmm. any other studies around that or specifically on the law enforcement side where, cause they wrote some departments rotate night to day, like every three or four months. Yeah, they do.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Rob, do you know uh, any Kirk Parsley would be the, I, I, all of my sleep info, I steal from Kirk. So okay. I have little uh primary um knowledge on that like i I mainly just like kirk what's new in this scene and and uh he he feeds it to me and then i i get to go to a lot of his events and and just kind of listen to his presentation so he would be the the guy to ask that but it it makes i mean even at this level we're like just on a gut level you've been through that that circus and if you're like wow that sounds way better it's probably going to be way better you know Mm -hmm. if it just sounds like less of a a flogging, it probably is going to be and and again, you know, it creates other other challenges staffing, maybe you need additional staffing that you need, you know, to kind of uh, fill in that schedule, but we have huge costs that we're going to bear with this as it is both healthcare and and you know, these, uh, if something goes kind of sideways, and so it, it seems smart to invest on the the preventative side of that for sure.
0: Yeah. I like to, I like to break Jared's balls, but a 48 hour shift sounds terrible. Cause contrary to, to what I believe in my heart, you guys don't get to sleep all day and play video games. So no, no, no. <laughs>
1: definitely <laughs> depends on the station. I work stations <laughs> that run like one or sometimes zero calls a shift. And then I, I work several stations that where on my first station, we average between 15, 20, like 17, 18 calls a shift in 24 hours. And you know, that's, it's kind of not stopping. Like, you make a run, come back, do a report. You got to make some food. You got to clean all your equipment. You got to do all your maintenance and checks. Um, like, you don't go to sleep. We would be making coffee at midnight, like, just to function in yeah. the morning. Yep. And then there's other stations where I worked a couple of these. We would be slow in the day, like, one or two runs. And then you're guaranteed, like, five or six at night after bedtime. So, that's like, you, those. your wife hates you when you work at a place like that.
0: I can't imagine like I can't imagine and there's anything good about falling like constantly falling asleep and then immediately waking up and like and not just waking up peacefully but waking up to like you know the adrenaline spiking immediately because the whatever sirens going off and you got to run out the door. Yeah, there's
1: actually a good bit of data on those systems the tone systems in a station like a lot of them have a soft opening like the lights come on and slowly Mm -hmm. upgrade Mm -hmm. The the sounds come on very
2: lightly and. It, it slowly starts dialing the lights up and everything. So it, it used to be this like, you know, air raid siren with the lights that pop on. Well, actually, the sad people thing. were like <laughs> having heart attacks immediately from that. Yeah. Most departments
1: still run that. Like that's those systems, those newer systems are common, but they're the majority of departments don't
0: have that. Damn. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That wow. seems bad. I like for me personally, the, uh, I, when I worked graveyards, I slept terrible and I tried everything, melatonin. I tried dark, you know, dark rooms. I had a little thing I'd wear over my eyes. I'd wear earplugs, but oh,
1: you should try some of the Parsley's sleep cocktail.
0: I should. But, uh, I, I'd, I'd go to bed, you know, seven or eight o'clock when I got home in the morning and I could not sleep past like 12
2: or one. And that was it. I do that yeah, for, it's all, it's it's all mitigating strategies. Like it's a little better, like you get a maybe an hour or two better sleep. Maybe the total sleep quality is a little bit better, but, you know, and I'm stealing this from Parsley, but evolution has had like four and a half billion years to figure out the sleep story. And there's not an organism on the planet that that is, you know, reasonably complex that doesn't sleep. Um, sharks, you know, half of their brain sleeps at a time. Horses, half their brain sleeps at a time if they're if they're not fully racked out. It's the it's the most uh, risk exposed moment that an organism could have. You know, and it, it's because it's so critical for restoration. So if there was a way to just jettison that, evolution would have figured out a way to do it, mm. and and it hasn't. And so it's one of these like. It's as non-negotiable as error because you can wait for at least a period of time with really messing with it. We we really uh, downplay the the value of sleep. Uh, the Guinness Book of World Records will not entertain folks trying to break the the you know the total duration sleep records anymore because the past three people that have gotten out to like nine days, 11 days, they go to bed and they die. And nobody knows why, like they can't figure out anything that's wrong with them. They just die. You're, you're and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, there's so much good data on how, uh, physically and, and mentally compromised people are with, with even modest degrees of, a uh, sleep deprivation.
0: Man, and then, there we are out there with a gun and a badge and driving 120 miles an hour. Yeah. yeah you are <laughs> yeah. sound asleep. Yeah. You just got woke up. Yeah. Now you have to
1: treat this dying person and give him all these drugs. Oh, and the, and the car's on fire. You got to deal with that. And somebody's spitting at you.
0: Have fun. And you're coaching a game when you get home today, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a and perfect storm. your
1: wife hasn't seen you in a week. So.
0: <laughs> Easy job.
1: Oh, Rob, we are getting close to your time. I want to honor that. Um do you have anything else you'd like to add about your experience working with first responders or the uh, high-level military assets you've worked with?
2: Man, I, 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 I'm not sure. Like, I, I oftentimes feel like I come across as a a buzzkill at these points because I. <laughs> Back around 2011 2012, I was so full of piss and vinegar. I was like, "We're going to change medicine. We're going to change all this stuff within, you know, uh, first responder scene." And we've had a modicum of impact. Like clearly, the you know, some of this information got out to you guys, and mm-hmm. and I think that at a at a grassroots level, um, people are making changes, and and uh, that's really good. And at the end of the day, that's that's where I I just have to be satisfied with that, maybe at some point we, we get like a really forward thinking city, like Reno was looking like this for, for a while. And then, had, you know, our, our leadership advanced and the folks that that came in their their wake were good people, but they didn't have the same kind of long view of, of investing in their, their folks. And so the, a lot of these programs kind of kind of went by the wayside, not, not to the, to the, they're not totally gone, but they're not as robust as what they were. But I, I guess the main thing is that, uh, you know, take better care of yourselves than what you think is, is reasonable. And if you need help, reach out to me. Like I, I, uh, I, I can't tell you how many, you know, thousands of people I I have kind of like form emails at this point because it's like, yeah, I've, I've talked to a lot of people just, it's just like you. So I'm like, read this and and, and do this stuff. And, and you know, here's the, the basic idea. You're not a unique so, snowflake. Like that. this is a, a well-trod path, but the, you know, the, there isn't probably going to be a lifeline that's thrown from the top. There's just not. And so the, the folks that are, you know, like a, a good friend of mine is still in that, that several of them in the, the Reno PD area. And they lean on each other, you know, and if if things start getting squirrely, you know, one way or the other, they'll, we'll do a circle back. They they do still keep getting the, um, the yearly uh, advanced testing so that we can get a sense of where they are. And if we need to do some some harder interventions to keep them solid, then that's good. And uh, uh, what three of my friends are within, you know, 18, 24 months of their, their desired retirement point. And these guys are in pretty darn good shape uh despite things like like graveyard and stuff like that like they're 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 not perfect but they're a lot better than where they would have been you know had they not started doing these things like 7 years ago because it is kind of like compound interest you know uh, uh you get 5% interest on 100 100 grand it doesn't look all that impressive year 1 year 2 but you come back year 15 and you really got got something to, to if you know to crow about it at that point so i would look into ways that you can uh, address these issues we you know um someone else you might consider having on the show is a good friend of mine uh, dr bill cromwell they have a program called precision health reports and this is the exact methodology that we use to assess metabolic risk for for folks like they it, it and honestly it's the exact same only it's like 10 years better and more advanced and they've got so much more more data on this stuff but it's 150 bucks 200 bucks something like that to do this thing and it gives you like a, a 10-year risk for diabetes and a 10-year risk for a stroke and a heart attack and then it provides recommendations for what to do um, diet and lifestyle wise to affect some changes and then we uh, bill is hooked up with a, a good group of health coaches that can help people and so I would say do things to improve your situation. And if you got to spend a little bit of money to, to plug some holes, fucking do it, man. Mm. Like uh, if we can get all of you guys out and, and not have too many ragged parts dangling off of you at the end (laughs) of it, then we can rebuild you. Like we can put, put the, you, we can put the Humpty Dumpty back together again and all that stuff. But if you get broken irreparably in the line of duty and, or if at the end of your your main tenure, like you're so broken that we got two years and then we're we're, you know, playing taps for you like that's a fucking huge waste and it, it just galls me like I, I honestly have spent time awake at night trying to figure out how to fix this but I invested 10 years like I, I all kinds of other opportunities came by me and I spent 10 years trying to spin up this other angle of this business. And it again, had a mod- modicum of success, but it, it never really caught. It never really took. Um, and I'm okay with that. Like it was worth doing that. You never know how these things are going to go, but I know it will help people. I know it will save lives and will save lives both on the and, and improve lives, both on the, the, you know, the first responder side and on the civilian side, because everything's going to be better. So I am really passionate about this stuff. It's just a, a remarkably Byzantine busy- and, and, you know, hierarchical uh, uh, process to try to breach into it and, and get some type of quant, you know, quantifiable change going.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's an uphill grind, but it's noble. And I know there are plenty of people out there that appreciate you. Uh, you know, my wife and I have been following you for years. So um, we appreciate it. There are, you know, I think this thing can, can build, you've planted a seed, um, along with others, and hopefully that these guys that are up and coming guys and gals uh we'll start to grow that and maybe we'll see some change in the next you know 10 20 30 years that will stick
1: yeah definitely absolutely i gotta give you some credit for us too rob Uh, my wife and i you know your original material kind of changed our lives so that's why seth and i we're both big fans of the work you've been doing that's why we wanted to have you on but without uh, the information you were putting out uh, 12 15 years ago when all this started when you know you kind of Blew up on the internet, um, things wouldn't be the same. We found a doctor to heal Ashley's thyroid. I changed my life. like, like I went from being a stress monster and just a total <laughs> asshole to being like pretty chill and low key, and got myself back in shape. At, you know, when I was in the fire service, um,
0: yeah. So, thanks for all you do. Yep, I I clearly That's remember. Awesome. That's uh, good to hear. Yeah, I clearly remember. I don't know, it, it was a while ago right when I started looking into your stuff and I walked into the briefing room at the beginning of one of my shifts and I proclaimed to everyone that I was having a lifestyle change because, yeah, I was... <laughs> <That's> <laughs> how'd that go? Yeah, well, it, they, they thought I was proclaiming a different kind of lifestyle change. So uh, I was switching my diet to more of a paleo diet. and um, oh, I got all kinds of shit for that. Gotta, Yeah, me too, me too. Um, but I think some of it stuck with some of the other guys and um, I certainly learned a lot along the way. So it was worth it.
1: One thing I, I have noticed this, I'm That's sure awesome. Rob, you've noticed it too. Um, for Seth and I, we both did equal time, we did 14 years in our chosen profession before we moved on. And it seems like everybody that comes across this type of information hey, we can do things differently, we can improve, we can get better. They end up, and you know, this from the uh, the training days back in the strength and performance world in the methodology we won't name, but uh, like a lot, of all the fire and police guys, everybody was really deeply invested in what you're saying and what you're teaching, they end up leaving. So I don't, mm. maybe, and I think yeah. personally there, yeah. there should be like a, maybe a 15 year, 10 to 15 year cap on these professions and you should be yeah. able to move on. Like the 25, 30 year thing is, I think that's the biggest problem personally.
2: Yeah. Good call. Well, yeah. And you know, be not to, you know, finish on too much of a buzzkill, but because of the challenges of, of funding these pensions, it, it's now, more the 30 years the norm like these new kids coming in they're gonna have to log 30 years not not 20 not 25 yep. so it's uh it, it's gonna be even more challenging for them yeah yeah
1: it's yeah. nuts yeah gotta, i'm, I'm uh, from florida time. rob i don't know if you know that originally um and it's way oh, different, okay. way okay. different down there florida has been 100 or over 100 percent funded for most of its existence i mean, for a long time um and then now they've the newest generations coming on they're full on in an ira that or an IRA equivalent. They're not in a pension anymore. Oh, um, so right, right. Yeah. So you can, if you're there, you can do other things with that money. You don't have to wait. So that's nice. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, well, Rob, thanks for joining us today. This was awesome. Absolutely. Huge
2: honor guys. Thank you. Thanks for the one for your service and two for the continuing work that you're doing.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, by the way, we forgot to mention this, Rob, we have a, uh, we have a rally point that's between us when it all goes down. So <laughs> you're invited.
2: <laughs> perfect yep. well i mean we've got a pretty we've got a pretty good gig here in uh montana i have three three backup uh power sources three backup water sources about five years of food stash so nice. uh, the, <laughs> the offer extends to you guys too just bring bring some 270 ammo and stuff like that and we'll we'll we'll, we'll uh we'll rack them and stack them as long as we <laughs> we, we've so. got
0: that covered let's <laughs> yeah yeah we, we roll um, We.
2: We have a solid group of friends yeah say that. yeah life's good
0: nice. up here in the northland
2: nice. <laughs> That's awesome. that's good. that's good. and it, you know it's funny the the healthy rebellion community that that we have is is kind of our our main outreach to people. I want to say like forty percent of the chatter that happens in there like we do resets and body composition changes, and you know, tweaking diet, tweaking uh, uh, strength and conditioning and everything. But probably 40% of the discussion that we have is resiliency-based stuff, like firearms handling, hunting, uh, uh, homesteading, self-defense. Um, it, it's interesting. And I, I don't know if I'm just attracting like a complete lunatic fringe, you know, prepper crowd, or if uh, it's just really getting on the radar of folks that is like, it, it, and, you know, a big Thing that's coming out of that is that people are creating little hubs of the community like if they're within spit and distance of each other they get together share some food have have some ideas around how they could they could work collaboratively and stuff like that so it, it's cool and i think it's going to be something that's really needed in the, the coming years yeah we didn't talk about that we have a
1: bio recorded for you that we're going to plug in before you know you start um but rob has one of his businesses is called the healthy rebellion that's part of where they've evolved. Um, and it is fantastic, I'm a member. There's tons of good content, tons of information in there, um, lots of resources if you're looking to get into just preparing your own food, planning, uh, lifestyle changes, anything that we've talked about today and well past there like Rob mentioned. So you're not taking too many more people into that group, right? We're about
2: 1,500, and we're, we're, we're good. Yeah, we're like 1,200, and, and uh, uh, I think that it will become totally unmanageable above that. Like right now people are pretty civil and actually seem to legitimately care about each other. I'm probably the biggest asshole in that whole thing, which <laughs> is is okay. <laughs> so good. we'll, we'll um, just kind of call it good with that. Yeah. Okay. I, I think it's, it, what would be great is if there's big interest is we spin off another healthy rebellion and somebody else is the steward of that and they build their own kind of culture and and thoughts around that, but they could use the the methodology that would that we have the resets and all the rest of that stuff to help move people through so they don't have to totally reinvent the wheel. like that is kind of my the, the goal of the healthy rebellion is to get a million people out of the sick care system and the way that we do that is build a thousand of these groups with a thousand people in it and uh, something like that could really move the move the ball it could really ch- you know change the way that things are, are going. Yeah, I definitely believe that.
0: Yeah, I love, I love all, all of, all of this that's coming out of the world today. There's a lot of crap going on, I won't mention, uh, but I love all of this community that's coming out of it. These small groups. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. I'm so it happy. Hi, right, Rob. Uh, before you check out, it is.
2: It, yeah. Go ahead. Nope, nope. That's it. That's it. Okay. Yeah, where can people find you? You want to
1: drop all your info here?
2: Mainly just uh, robwolf.com, and then I do a lot of writing for the electrolyte company that I I uh, pimp for, which is uh, drinkelement.com. And like, if people have interest in like intermittent fasting, ketogenic diets, and stuff like that, I I do a lot of writing over there. And then I I've really I have presence on social media, but I'm not really there. Like I write up some stuff, my assistant posts it, but I. I just cannot go into social media much anymore, so it is not really me on those those profiles. If you want to track me down, go go head over to the Healthy Rebellion, and you can find me there. Join the Healthy Rebellion, folks. It's worth it. Yeah, we're we're
1: having we're actually experiencing the same struggle with social media. We have mm-hmm. multiple, Seth and I both have multiple things. Um, one for our, my wife and I. We have our little school. I don't know if you knew about that, Rob. We started our own little private school. Yeah, yeah. And then our training studio and then Seth and his wife have a real estate team that I just joined as well. And like managing all these accounts and profiles and it, it's kind of, I'm just like, I don't care. I'm done with this. It's a burden. And then, yeah, you get sucked into that
0: world and I don't really want anything to do with it. Yeah.
1: And the show too, like the show has several accounts, right? We're about to go on YouTube, <laughs> but it's kind of like if you don't participate nothing's going to change. So
2: yeah. Yeah. I, I think you just figure out how to use those to the best of your advantage and, and, uh, Uh, My main thing is I'll I'll still try to put out quality material so that people can learn something, improve their lives, hopefully, but um, I'm not really going to contribute enough so that these entities that are like pitting us against one another with these algorithms optimized for conflict are, are going to get anything out. So I, I've tried to find that, that middle thread, the needle, um, where I can still use it to, to get the message out to the degree we need to, but, but also not, not feed into the whole monster.
1: That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for all you do, Rob. And I guess we'll run into you soon. Um, I yeah.
0: Think... If you come out this way, let's get some roles in Jared's.
1: Jared's oh, yeah. Jared. Come to Sparta training Academy in Coeur d'Alene. we got yep. you covered.
0: Yep. Do some jets. Okay,
2: I have a family in Boise, so we get out that direction occasionally for yeah. sure. Fantastic,
0: fantastic. Well, thank you again, and we will take care, guys. Talk soon. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk to you soon, Rob. All right. All right. Bye. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show, and we would just like to mention a few things before you go. Yes, as always. We don't have any sponsors right
1: now. So, we are sponsoring this ourselves, self-sponsored.
0: Fantastic. So
1: what's your business, Seth?
0: Uh, so I am one of the owners of 108 Real Estate. And if you know your brevity codes, like you're a first responder, you'll know that 108 means in service. So, we're in service all the time taking care of our clients. Um excellent little bit of news. Is that we have a new member of the team? Happy to announce. He's very familiar. There he (laughs) is right there across from me. Uh, Jared has joined the team. So we now have two retired first responders on the team. And then my wife would be the third person currently. She's the brains behind the operation, the boss lady. And we are uh, part of EXP Realty. So um, could be a good avenue for some of you that may be transitioning or retiring or finding a new career path or part time. Uh, feel free to reach out to us and we can help guide you on that journey in real estate. It's a wonderful, f- wonderful field to be in. That's correct. EXP is fantastic. Absolutely. Um, you can find us. Our website is 10, all written out, 10-8realestate.com. Um, on Instagram, we are 10 underscore 8 real estate. And on Facebook, we are at ten eight real estate. So hit us up. Let's talk. And... Anything else to add?
1: Yeah. Uh, our specialty on the real estate side is helping first responders find their dream home. Bring it. You know we got so your back. You want to relocate to North Idaho and soon to be Western Montana.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, hit us up. We got you covered. Yeah. We will uh, protect you like we're working a beat together. <laughs> that's correct. That's right. I don't know what, you, co- what do you call it in the fire department. It's not a beat. Shift. Shift. Yeah, that's cool. Like you guys are.
1: First well, area is first due. Shift is the literal time frame. Fantastic. Okay, there we go. All right, and my wife and I, my wife Ashley and I, we own two businesses here in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. One is called Northland Strength. It's a training, um, strength and performance training training facility for athletes, for youth athletes. And then we also started a private school this year called Northland Training Academy. And you can find them at, at Northland Strength on Instagram. And at Northland underscore CDA is the school, also on Instagram.
0: And my kids go there. It's awesome. The model is fantastic. Hopefully it spreads worldwide. I yeah, love it. that's one thing we're doing. We are cataloging and documenting all of our
1: steps and progress. So we are going to take this model that we've created and give it to people sometime next year. We'll be like, here, do this. Most people are scared to start their own school. They think they can't. They think people won't pay them money. They think all these things, uh, most of that is just misconceptions or fear-based ideology that they've adopted. So we're going
0: to help people with that. It's an awesome alternative to the traditional method. Yeah. Oh, we can't forget the show. Oh, yeah. If if you want to find us
1: (laughs) on Instagram, we're at Copy That Radio. And the show is hosted at Anchor FM, and that's anchor.fm slash Copy That Radio. You can actually send us a voice message from Anchor. um, And anywhere the description is listed on Apple or Spotify or Google, wherever you're listening, there's a link at the end of our episode description you can message us so if you have a story you want to tell you want to share with us or somebody you want to connect us with several people have reached out trying to connect us with first other first responders that have some crazy stories we're working on getting them scheduled um you can do that just shoot us a message on there or instagram at
2: copy that radio all right thank you very much bye bye